church. Great to see you. Do me a favor, get your Bible out. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse 24, and this will be our fourth week of the series Connected. We're going to talk about our, ourselves and our relationship with our local church, and uh, I want to, my challenge this morning is I want to raise our view of the church and hopefully have a similar view uh, as God has of the church. I uh, was talking this week to uh, the guy who mentored me. A lot of you guys know him, Alistair, and he uh, is on a board of an orphanage that has some people that are kind of famous in our culture. And so he's texting me, and he was like, "Hey, I, you know, I'm I'm having the board meeting at the house of the f- former uh, starting quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks." Kind of bragging, and of course, I was super jealous. And I was like, "Man, I wish I could come up and just spend one day on the board, kind of thing." And so we started talking and uh, texting, and he was like, uh, "That's what young people do, you know? They're ta- we're talking. No, you're texting. They're two different things." So uh, you know, we were texting, and I said, "Listen, can I get an autograph?" He's like, "Yeah, you know." So uh, so I go into my closet or ask my wife to go in the closet and I found my my jersey of this quarterback. It's a white jersey. I said, hey, check it for like salsa stains, uh, cheese dip stains. You know, if it's got that, we need to clean it up. And uh, and I'll tell you, like, and my wife this whole time thinks this is so weird. You know, like, I can't believe you're mailing a jersey to him to take the Boston. I'm like, this is awesome, man. And I'm like, and once this thing is signed, uh, it will be special to me, Okay. Uh, it won't be worn at any more games. And by the way, like, this is where I'm embarrassed to say what I'm about to say, but like, I have a whole jersey collection, and, uh, and it's not just for me. Uh, and this is what embarrasses me. I'm a little bit superstitious when I watch the Seattle Seahawks, and I know that's not biblical, and a pastor shouldn't be that way, all right? So I'll take the condemnation now. But if you come in the family room and watch the game with me, you also need to wear a jersey. Like, that's the rule. If you don't have a jersey on, Ryan, you didn't wear a jersey in the playoff game when you sat at my house and they lost. So it proved my point. So uh, so I was like, see, you didn't have the jersey on. So very important that everybody has jerseys on. So this jersey will no longer be distributed, right? Once it's autographed, it's probably going to be framed and it's going to end up in my office. I'm certainly not going to cut the lawn in it. And I don't know if some of you think that's weird, but we all have things that are precious to us, right? And when something's precious to you, uh, you take extra care of it. Isn't that right? And so for some of you in this room, you have, and I don't do this, but you have two different sets of dishes, right? You have the dishes for when the fans, regular people are there. And then if the old quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks shows up, you get out the special dishes, right? For him or for her, right? How many of y'all have the special dishes that come out, right? They're special to you. I get that, right? And so we all have that. And we, we take care of things uh, that are of high importance to us. God has a high view of the church. Did you know that? Now, let's be clear when we talk about the church, right? Because I think a lot of times we think buildings and institutions, right? You all grew up with this. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. Those are the people. That's really, really bad theology, okay? This is the church, right? This is a tool to do ministry, but it's not the church. In fact, you guys help support a mission called the Timothy Initiative that plants churches all across the world, and, and most of those churches meet under trees in villages, right? They don't, they, don't, they don't have this, all right? This is who they are, and they're the church. And God 
has a high view of the people that call themselves Christians that pull, assemble together and pull their time, talent, and treasure for the call, cause of the gospel in a local church. He calls them his bride. He says, this is the bride of Christ. That's one of the New Testament word pictures for the church. Now, um, you know, one of the things that I want to be cautious of, and I'm actually going to be a little bit hard on some churches at one point in this sermon, uh, but I also think like we need to be careful uh, on, on our social media posts when we post about the church. Now listen, the church, I understand this, has a history of sin, right? has a history of injustices. It's, it's swept sins under the rugs. All of that is bad and sinful, okay? And the re, but the reason the church is not perfect yet is because it's made up of, well, it's this. The church is people, and as people, we're still sinners, right? And as sinners, we're going to make mistakes, and we should deal with mistakes and sins in a biblical manner, right? We shouldn't be sweeping sins and injustices and brokenness under the rug, uh, but we also, the other tension as Christians is, this is the bride of Christ, and we need to have a high view of the, of the bride of Christ as God has a high view of the bride of Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5. Now, like last week when we preached out of Philippians chapter 2, right? Philippians chapter 2 is this incredibly theologically rich passage of the, of the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, it's got this, you know, it's in, but it's in the context of serving one another. And so Philippians 2 has almost two really important truths going on parallel of who Christ is and then the, his, his uh, we are to imitate Christ, have the mindset of Christ as we love and serve others. Well, guess what? Ephesians 5 has two really important themes woven throughout it. One is the theme of marriage. And I've uh, preached this sermon many, many times on this passage on marriage, okay? Today, I want to preach a sermon with the other theme in this text is the bod- is the church being the bride of Christ. So I want you to kind of have that, look at this text this morning through that lens as Paul uses this illustration of both marriage and the church. So here it is, Ephesians 5, 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to what, church? Christ in the church. So is this passage about marriage or is it about Christ in the church? Which is it? 
Yes, right? And so this morning, I want to lean this way, all right? I want to lean into the idea of this passage being Christ in the church. So number one, the idea of the church is the church has to walk in purity. And how do we walk in purity and holiness? Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So letter A, Christ sacrificed for the church. It's the sacrifice of Christ that makes the church pure, okay? So if you're new to coastal, there's a word around here that we use often, and I want to define it for you. It's the word gospel. Uh, we use the word gospel, and the word gospel means good news, and the fact that there's good news implies that there's also bad news, okay? So let me start with the bad news. The Bible has made clear to us, and by the way, raising children makes clear to us too, that we are born into sin, we are natural born sinners. We are rebelling against the, our creator that we sang about in song number two here this morning, uh, that oh, our creator created the world. His glory shines through creation. We know there's a creator, but we rebel against him and his holy character. And the Bible calls this sin. That's why when you raise children, you don't have to teach them to sin. You have to teach them in holiness and righteousness. It's the natural bent of our, of our, our sinful hearts, okay? And so we're born into sin, and what our sin deserves is the wrath of God. God could immediately pour out his wrath upon us, but God is merciful and gracious and kind and patient with you as he was with me. And so he, he, what he does and what he did is he gave us his very best gift. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, if you can even imagine this, lived a perfect life. He's, he's the only person that walked the planet that didn't sin, which means, what does the Bible say about sin? Sin earns us something. The wages of sin is what? Is death, right? That's what the Bible says. Well, since Jesus didn't sin, that means he didn't earn death. He actually chose death. Jesus chose to die on the cross. It was a substitutionary death. It was suffering. It was brutal. And it was awful. And we're to look at the suffering death of Christ and go, man, that's how much our holy God hates sin and hates my sin. And he paid a penalty that he didn't owe on the cross. And then they laid his body in a grave. He died on the cross. They laid his body in a grave. And three days later, Jesus Christ stepped out of his own grave alive and well, bodily raising from the dead, authenticating his claims of being the son of God, authenticating his claims of being the only way to God, and defeating our final enemy called death. So the good news is, so here's what we say at Coastal, Jesus is God, Jesus died on the cross for our sin, Jesus bodily rose from the grave. That's the facts of the good news. Now what do we do with that? We have to repent of our sin, Repentance is a 180 degree turn. I'm doing things my way. I'm rebelling against God. I'll do, live my life the way I want. And repentance is like, you know what? I'm not going to live that way. And I'm going to walk as Jesus, live my life as Jesus taught me to walk. We have to repent of our sin. We have to believe in the core facts of the gospel. Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross in my hand. Jesus finally rose from the grave. And I have to receive Christ into my heart, mind, and life. And Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, the Word of God, the local community church, all, God uses all those things to transform us from the inside out as we grow and develop to be more like Jesus. Okay, everybody with me? So that when we use gospel, that's what we mean. If you don't know the gospel of Christ, we want 
want you to know that today, okay? And, and so you can come up after service with our prayer team. Come see me. Come see Pastor Andrew who's sitting up here. I mean, we'd love to share with you, man, how you can connect with God in the gospel of Christ. Christ, A, letter A, sacrificed for his church. Now, who's the church? It's you, right? It's me. He sacrificed for us. That's why in 1 Corinthians, right, well, this is why we have to walk in holiness and righteousness. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. There was a purchase price for you to be connected to your creator. And so this is why we should be careful when we're quickly putting down the church or if we're angry at someone in the church because that person that you're angry at is a person that Jesus spilled his blood for, all right? And there was a sacrifice. The church is precious to him. And it needs to, it's been purified by the blood of Christ. Letter B, the second way that it's purified, is by the word of God. Paul's very, very clear, right, that we're sanctified. The word sanctified means to make holy or to grow in holiness. Ephesians 5, 26 says that he might grow her in holiness, sanctify her. How? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The word of God is, is what grows us and sanctifies us. Listen, it's the job of the church to hold this book up and say, thus saith the Lord. Amen? Because that's how the church grows in holiness and purity. Now, I'm probably going to step on some toes for a minute, okay? But um, I just want us to be aware of, like, I think the, one of the biggest problems in our culture is, is, is not people that, think, that aren't Christians, right? I, I, it's not the them out there. I don't think that's the biggest problem in our culture. I think the biggest problem in our culture is, is churches that are no longer preaching this as the Word of God. Now, I, I saw a statistic this week, that for the first time in the history of America, we've crossed over. There's less people, less than 50% of Americans now go to church. Okay, so we've kind of crossed that bridge. But here's the, what I see is the good news. Here, uh, and you're a part of a, of a really precious community, like Coastal has five campuses, and, and all five campuses are growing. And there's a lot of churches in our community and around the nation that are growing. And the best I can tell, it's the ones that are holding up this book week in, week out, and saying, thus saith the Lord. And they're not bending. Everybody with me on that? Are you ready? Next month is Pride Month. And you're going to see gay pride flags everywhere. And listen, I'm not talking, I'm not, ta- I'm not preaching to anybody out there, I'm not, them out there that don't call themselves Christians. I expect people that are not Christians to act like people that are not Christians. But you're going to see some churches that fly the gay pride flag, okay? Now, I'm not, if you're here today and you're struggling with same-sex attraction or you would even say that I'm a gay person, I'm not mad at you. What I am saying is the Bible says that that sin, there's all kinds, the Bible defines lots of sexual sins. That's one of them, okay? And, and if a church puts itself over the word of God and says, listen, what the Bible says is, righteous, is unrighteous, we're declaring as righteousness, God forbid 
And Jeremiah talks about, in Jeremiah 27, about the shepherds, the prophets that are not declaring the word of the Lord, and they, they leave people in bondage. We just sang, in Jesus, I'm free. And at Coastal, listen, we want you to be free. We're not angry at any particular sin. We just don't want you on the path to death. You with me? And so the shepherds of these churches that are flying gay pride flags, shame on them. They are leaving their people in bondage. And if I'm a member of that church, I would hightail it out of there and give my time, talent, and treasure to a church that says, thus saith the Lord. Okay? And so, and I would even go so far to say that those churches are no longer churches. They are country clubs. It's kind of weighty, right? And, I'm not, and I say that with all the what I'm preaching about, about God's church being precious, but it's precious because it's made holy by the word of God. And God does not give the church the authority to undefine what God has already defined. Are you with me on that? All right, so purity by the word of God. And, and, and we have to declare it. And verse 27 says it this way, Ephesians 5, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Listen, it's our job as Christians to be adjusting to the word of God and growing in holiness and righteousness. In fact, on Tuesday uh, at the Refill Conference, I'm going to spend some time out of Acts chapter 20, where the Apostle Paul is preaching to some Ephesian elders, some leaders in the local church of Ephesus. And he says, guys, I want you to pay careful attention to yourself why does he say that? Because as, le- how many, uh, listen, it grieves me when I hear of highly influential pastors that are falling into habitual, unrepentant sin, sexual sin, and it just hurt because I'm like, what is the, why do people don't come to church? I don't come to church because what? The church is full of hypocrites, right? Now listen, every time we sin as Christians, in some ways we're hypocritical, right? We're doing the opposite of what we say we believe. And there's grace for that, and we should repent and believe. But as you grow in influence, if you're a leader in this church, you need to be growing in holiness and righteousness so that we can continue to lead and grow in holiness and righteousness and be in the Word of God because the Word of God makes us holy and pure. The church is to be walking in purity. Everybody with me on that? All right, number two, unity. So this picture of the church being the bride of Christ is a picture of unity. Ephesians 5, 29. Paul writes, and again, he's talking about, it's, it's this dualistic teaching on marriage in the church, for no one ever hated his own flesh. But listen, listen to this. This is, this is so beautiful. But nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Christ loves his church. Christ nourishes and cherishes his church. And so, I'm preaching to Christians here this morning. If you're a Christian and Christ loves and nourishes his church, then letter A, you're going to love what Christ loves. And Christ loves his church. That means you have to love real people. Not some distant entity out there. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the Christians that I meet all the time. Like, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, so I'm a part of Church Universal. You know, Pastor Spencer prayed about Church Big C, and I love Church Big C, and I believe in Church Big C. But, but you cannot fulfill the New Testament commands of what it means to be a Christian without being a member of Church Little C, like rubbing shoulders with people that have bad breath, 
right? And people that offend you from time to time and people that are difficult to get along with because we are to be unified with a group of believers that help sharpen us and make us more like Jesus. One of the things the Apostle Paul writes, he says, he says that we should forgive each other as we've been forgiven in Christ. What does that verse assume? What does that verse assume? You're going to have your feelings hurt. It assumes that if you do this thing called church long enough, someone's going to hurt your feelings. And it's a hot chance it'll be me because I'm in process too, right? I love what Ephesians 4.3 says, and I don't like to change the version of the Bible we use, but I really, really like the way the NLT translates this verse, ready? So it says this, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. You want to know what my favorite word in that verse is? Effort. Effort. It takes effort to have unity and peace, right? Have you ever been married for more than two weeks? Takes effort, right? Like, man, I thought this was supposed to be easy. I watched Cinderella, you know, and it seemed like it worked out for her, but or whatever. But you know, but like, man, no, it takes effort. And and it takes effort in the church. It takes effort that, 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 that we work together, that when we get wounded, listen, as I'm talking, there's somebody in this room right now that as I'm talking, there's someone in this church that's offended you and you need to take the effort this week to grab a cup of coffee and say, listen, this happened. Maybe it was a misunderstanding. Help me understand. This wounded me so that as a church, we can make the effort to keep the unity of the bond of peace so that we work together for the good of the gospel going forward. Everybody with me? We need to stay unified and unified takes effort. Some of you have changed service times, so you don't see that person, right? I'm just, I don't know. I'm speculating. Like, who, who is it? I don't know. But I suspect in the church decides it's happened, right? Eight o'clock, I used to go to eight, but I don't want to see that person anymore. I'm going to go to 11. Well, we need to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we have unity, let her be with one another, all right? We have unity with one another. And this overflow of having unity with one another is unity of purpose, right? And so we as a church are unified, let her see, in our purpose, which is summed up. And now, uh, these two verses are some really key verses in helping us as we were establishing Coastal Church in establishing this church. And, And we spell it out in our vision and in our mission statement. But it starts with Matthew 22, right? Jesus was asked to sum up the whole Old Testament. And this is what he says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or with your, all your heart and soul and with all your mind. This is the, first, the great and first commandment, verse 39. But the second is just like it. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So as we were developing our purpose and how we wanted to function as a church, We looked at this verse and say, how do we develop as a church so people have real relationships so that in those real relationships, they can love God and also love each other. All right, secondly is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, Jesus said this after Christ's resurrection, as he's getting ready to ascend to the right hand of the Father, it says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Let me pause here for a minute. You ever, had a, you ever had a tough week 
or a tough month or a tough year, in the middle of that difficulty, you've shot up one of these prayers. God, just, just take me home. Like, I don't, I don't know why I'm still here. Like, this is hard, and I don't want to keep doing it. You ever shot up one of them prayers? Me and about 10 other people. Okay, so yeah, I definitely have. Like, just, like heaven sounds great. Just take me there, you know? Why does God leave you here? Why are you still here? Like, surely it's got to be more than to make money and stuff the 401k and house and like all that. Surely it's got to be more than that. You are here to make disciples. And part of disciple making is that when you go through a difficult time, you have a hurt. God doesn't waste any hurts. Did you know that? And so he's going to get you through what you're going through, and then he's going to bring somebody in your life that is going through what you went through, and you're going to come alongside of them, and you're going to help them in their spiritual growth, in their discipleship, if you will. Everybody with me on that? And so, man, you're going to, God doesn't waste this. And so as you journey through it, I want you to look ahead and go, there's going to be a moment where God's going to use this difficulty to help me disciple someone else. He's left you here to make disciples. Back to Matthew 28, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and then in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them. This is the Bible piece, right? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. So a couple things here at Coastal. Our vision is to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. As we kind of synthesize the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, we, we don't want you to be a disciple of Coastal, Okay. We hope this is your local church, but we want you to passionately follow Jesus Christ. We want you to be a disciple of Jesus. And we do that in four ways, right? And so this is kind of how do we accomplish the vision? I would call this the mission. How do we do it? Connect, grow, serve, and multiply. Connect, grow, serve, and multiply. We connect by being committed to corporate worship. You ready? If this is your home church and you're a follower of Jesus, you should be in corporate worship every Sunday. Every Sunday, unless you're on vacation. And even then, you can tune in electronically. In fact, I would even encourage you to find a local church where you are, a Bible-believing local church, and, and go attend on Sunday and corporately worship with other believers. So it's not a, a statistics show that people that say they're churchgoers only go once a month in our current culture. And I don't... I don't know how you keep your soul on fire for Jesus attending corporate worship. I like I need it every single week. And I know you do too. Like man, we got to be connect by attending and being a part of corporate worship. You grow by being in a small group. We ask our members at Coastal to commit to being in eight weeks in the fall at most and eight weeks in the spring to be a part of a small group. Why? Because there's a whole list of one another passages in the New Testament, how we were to love one another, bear one another's burdens, care for one another, pray for one another. There's a whole list of them that you can't do in corporate worship. It requires a circle of people that love you, that you journey and you grow together where we connect the word of God in your relationships. This is where you meet the people with bad breath that hurt your feelings, that give you an opportunity to forgive them. All right? How many are like, man, sign me up for small group. I'm in, okay? So that's small group ministry, right? It's real. It's real life. And there's times that it'll be your greatest joy, and there's times it'll be hard. 
right? But make that commitment so that we grow to be like Christ. Number three, serve. We talked about this last week. I'm not going to preach last week's sermon again, but we serve in a ministry and a mission. And now we've added a fourth to this because disciples make disciples. And so we want our, our members to begin to replicating themselves. So if you're serving in a ministry, you're teaching someone to do what you do so that they, either you can go to the next gospel outpost that God gives us, or you can stay and send that one to the next gospel outpost. Because everything we're doing here, we want to do again at our gospel outpost so that all of our campuses that are preaching the word are also growing and reaching the community for Jesus Christ. Everybody with me on that? Okay, so connect, grow, and serve. And so, and so here's the deal, ready? Some of you in this room need to stop dating Coastal Church. Yes? You stop dating Coastal Church. You've been dating long enough, right? You don't marry someone and say, hey, I love you, but I'm going to see other people. That's not love, right? If you love what Jesus loves, you commit. And what are you committing to? You're committing to these people to serve the Lord together through connect, grow, serve, and multiply. Well, that's all we're asking you to commit to. And by the way, I think it's a New Testament. We're not asking the members of Coastal to commit to anything other than what the Bible says a Christian should be committed to. That's a pretty bold statement, right? And so that's what church membership is. How do I do that? Well, Coastal, we ask you to go. The starting point is our We Are Coastal class. And uh, we our next We Are Coastal class is June 3rd at 5 p.m., it's right here, 5 day 30. Sign up. Let us know you're coming, okay, because we have food. We have child care. We want to make sure we have enough of each. But some of you need to take that next step and say, and so membership at Coastal is saying, I'm committing to developing as an authentic follower of Jesus through connect, grow, serve, and multiply. I'm just making the commitment to do that, all right? And so the, the bride of Christ is purity, unity, and then number three is presentation and celebration. So Paul uses the word presentation here in Ephesians 5.27. So presentation is forward-looking to the return of Christ. So they're walking in holiness, they're in the Word, washing in the Word of God, so that he might present, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Paul here is reminding us that we have earthly celebrations. There's earthly things that we do that are reminding us of a day that's coming that's going to be perfect and a celebration feast, right? And so it's, it's some of you all know this from church life. It's the wedding feast of the Lamb, that, that there's going to be this awesome wedding day, right? And, and so Revelation 19 says this, right, in this picture of the wedding day. Revelation 19, verse 7 and 8, the apostle John writes, let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. And how has the bride made herself ready? It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Okay, so as Christians, let me stop here for a minute. There's two very important point pieces of this verse. As we are preparing for the day that we meet the Lord face to face when he returns, the first step in the preparation is to know Jesus Christ, to repent of sin, receive the gospel. And when we do that, this, I think this verse is pretty clear. We are granted the pure, fine, and bright linen cloth. I think that's the doctrine of justification. So we receive Christ, we're declared righteous. So one day we stand before the, 
before God Almighty, who's holy and without sin. We're not going to stand there in our, with our sin and our shame and our own righteousness. We're going to stand there perfectly clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We prepare for that day by receiving Jesus. And then number two, put the verse back up. It says in verse eight, it was granted for her to clothe herself with the fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. I think this verse is talking about both justification and sanctification. How do we prepare for that day? We grow in holiness and righteousness. We do the things that God has called us to do. And both receiving Christ and growing in Christ and serving Christ are all ways that we prepare for the wedding feast. Everybody with me? It's presentation that we're looking forward to that day. And so letter A, our earthly celebrations remind us of the great celebration to come right? A wedding is a big deal. Yes? How many of y'all was your wedding a big deal, right? I, uh, as a pastor, you know, you get a lot of wedding invites. I, I literally have had save the dates cards come almost two years in advance. Now that's preparation, right? Like, man, I'm getting married and I really want you to save the date. And I look at them like, I don't even know if I'll be alive then, you know? So like, that's a risk for me to even put it in my calendar. So uh, that's a long way. We prepare, right? We save money, right? And one of the things that's a great, great thing about being a pastor of a church is my kids have gotten married and having five sites, you know, five campuses. And, and the great thing about that is when we choose a wedding venue, I'm like, kids, you got five sites to choose from. All this can be yours. So, you know, pick your venue. Um, so, you know, but like you save money for the venue. We think about it. We get the dress, right? We, we get all ready, cards, invitations, what the invitation should look like. Like, man, some of you have, you know, spent more time preparing for your wedding than you've spent preparing to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, Right? And it's a, it's a preparation. And, and what God has done for us is he's given us these, these earthly celebrations that remind us of the great celebration to come. They just are supposed to whet our appetite, right? That's, by the way, that's what corporate worship is supposed to be. Did you know that? Like corporate worship, it, 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 it's not supposed to be boring. It's supposed to whet our appetites, for what the Lord is doing. Remember last week, I mentioned this, and I don't know if I did it in all three services, but we sang the 23rd Psalm, and one of the lines in the 23rd Psalm is, he prepares a banquet for us in the presence of my enemies, right? I always look at that verse and go, I think that's what corporate worship is. Like, life is hard, it's broken, we're waiting for the return of Christ, for him to set it all right, and in the midst of our difficulty, he gives us his banquet feast where we come together and we realize as the world seems to be coming unglued from the scene, seems, I'm not the only one that believes this stuff, right? And we gather together and we sing and we remind our hearts and minds of the truths of God and we hear the word of God and all of a sudden my heart is refreshed and it's a banquet feast so that I can take on Monday. And by the time I get to Friday or Saturday, living in the things of the world, man, I'm ready for another banquet feast, aren't you? I hope you are, right? And so listen, I get it. Like, like there's, God's not giving us any more parking places at Yorktown, okay? There's some in the back. I don't know if you know that. You can park in the back. Like, there's a lot of that in the back. Like, God's not giving us more seating, and he's not giving us more children's spaces. That's going to cost millions and millions and millions of dollars, and we don't want to do that. Like, we want to send, but here's the deal. Like, coming in at the 11 o'clock service, I get it. I've preached too long in the last one, and the check-in, and the person in front of you don't know how to use the children's check-in, and that's frustrating. There's no parking place. Like, get here early and be ready to feast on Jesus Christ, amen? And so Hebrews chapter 10 says it this way. Let us hold fast 
the confession of our hope without wavering. Let me say that again. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Anybody here, um, your faith in Christ and all this stuff we talk about church sometimes wavers a little bit? Like, man, I, I don't even know if today I believe that stuff. Does that ever happen to you? Just me. Okay, just me. Yeah. For he who has promised, says the book of Hebrews, is faithful. Now, this is really important. This is a really important truth. You, you, you can have lots and lots of faith, but it's not in the right object. So imagine if there's a pond that's frozen and you want to go ice skating and it's just got a small layer of ice, but to you it looks like it's got lots of ice. So you put your ice skates on and you have lots and lots of faith that that pond's going to hold you up and you get your ice skates on and you jump into the middle of that pond that's only got a thin layer of ice. What's going to happen? Right through. Why? What happened? You had lots of faith. I had lots of faith that that, that was going to hold me up, right? I was going to be able to skate on it. And then there's a second pond, and this pond has ice that's about five feet thick. It's so thick you could drive a car on it. But you don't have a lot of faith because of your last experience that that pond is going to hold you up. And so you get out, you go like, you know, you're kind of spread eagle, like walking your way out, laying down, going real slow on ice. And you're acting like, man, this, this ice isn't going to hold you up. But, but you're out in the middle of this pond, and you're fine. Why are you fine? Why are you fine? Because the ice is thick. But wait a minute, you don't have much faith. You don't have as much faith as you did on the pond within ice. I thought it depended on how much faith you have. No, what really matters is the object of your faith. If the object of your faith is sturdy and true, then guess what? You're going to be fine. And that's what Hebrews says. Check this out. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Understand, sometimes our faith wavers. But our trust, where our faith and our hope is, is in he who promised, and he who promised is faithful. You're placing your faith and your hope in the right object. Verse 24. Now, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Okay? So what's our job as Christians? To consider how we can encourage one another in loving each other and in good works so that we're clothed, Revelation 19, in the fine linens of the day of our presentation before the Lord. Verse 25, how do we do this? How do we stir one another up to love and good works? Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the author of Hebrews saying? We need to be reminded regularly of the fact that Jesus is returning and we need to stir up one another in faith and in hope and encouragement to love and to good works. And the way we do that is to meet regularly. If you're only meeting once a month, if you're only attending corporate worship once a month, you are not meeting enough to encourage your life and heart. I don't know how you do it, to be honest with you. Man, I need it every single week. I need to see Pastor Spencer jumping around every single week like a crazy man. He, he makes me want to sing. Doesn't he do that for you? Like he's just so enthusiastic. Like, man, he, he's into it. I want to be into it, right? And then thankfully there's no one in front of me as I'm singing out loud. Um, but God gives us these, these 
these earthly opportunities to remind us of the true heavenly blessing, right? So be ready. This is what baptism is about. Why do we celebrate baptism? Why is it that if you always wonder, like, why are they clapping after everybody gets baptized? Like, why are they, why are they whistling? And go, because here's the deal. When someone gets baptized, here's what they're doing. They're saying, I used to live for myself. I used to not follow Jesus. I now, by God's grace, I've been regenerated. I see the kingdom of God. I've repented of my sin. I'm now following Jesus, and I'm publicly professing that I am a follower of Jesus, and you can hold me accountable to following Jesus. That is an awesome earthly celebration. Amen? And we take the Lord's Supper, and as we take the Lord's Supper, it reminds us of three things. We look backwards to what Jesus did. He shed his blood to save us from our sins. As we take the elements, it reminds us that Jesus is now in us, and he's changing us from the inside out. And we look forward to the day that we'll have a heavenly banquet feast at the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is why we as a church, we pull our time, talent, and treasure together, assembling together so that we can further the gospel message of others to know the freedom that they can find in Jesus. And so we prepare for that day of presentation. And finally, letter B, we anticipate the full and final day of the return of Jesus Christ. You ready? Jesus is coming again. Okay, so Pastor David, Pastor Dave Peterson a couple weeks ago said that, and he got about the same response, and he said this. He said, you know, if I was new to Coastal, I wouldn't know you guys really believe this stuff. You ready? Jesus is coming again. Isn't that great news? And when he does, there's going to be no more cancer. There's going to be no more death, no more funerals. There's going to be no more of your own sin and my own sinful failures. You know that temptation you struggle with every single day? You're like, when am I going to overcome this one? That will be gone. You know the time you talk to your spouse in a way that if it was recorded and played here on the big screen, you're like, man, I don't want anybody to see that. I can't believe I just did that. I'm a Christian. Why am I talking to my spouse that way? That will be gone. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more injustices. Everything will be biblically fair when his kingdom comes. His will will then be done perfectly. Isn't that cool? Revelation 20 paints this picture. We'll close with this and we'll close with prayer. I love Revelation 21. I read this often to remind me of what's coming. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw, I love this picture, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Here's this language again. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said to me, like here's John, right? He's here on this. He's probably like, this is amazing. And he who was seated with me said, John, listen, Write these things down, 
Behold, I'm making all things new. He said, so write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it's done. Why? Because I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God. He will be my son. That is what we have to look forward to. And the church is an earthly taste of this. It's imperfect. We do not do it perfectly. Jesus prayed something. What did he pray in the prayer he taught us to pray? Your will be done on what? Earth as? How's that going to happen? Where's the expectation for that to be accomplished? It's in the church. Christ God loves his church, which means two really important things. Number one, he loves you intimately. There's some of you in this room that you have said, Pastor Sean, you don't, you don't know my past. You don't know my week. You don't know what I did. I, and you've checked yourself into the penalty box and what you need is to hear the gospel of the doctrine of justification. When you repent of sin and believe in Jesus Christ, his righteousness is gifted to you by grace alone, through faith alone. He loves you. Amen? And so he wants you to be a part of his bride, serving until the Christ returns and our faith becomes sight. You've checked yourself in the penalty box, but God hasn't. And he wants you to step up and say, be a part of the bride. And help push to go, link arms with other people to push the gospel forward until the return of Christ. Secondly, Christ loves this church. The second thing that means, he loves the person in this church that you can't stand. The person that drives you crazy, he loves that person too. And that person is a necessary part of the body. And so, if that person is in your heart, I want to challenge you. Let's make every effort in this church to keep the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. And so as I said that, and there's that person in your life, take this week and say, I'm going to effort this week. I'm going to make an appointment. I'm going to grab a cup of coffee, and I want to make things right so that together we can prepare for the day that our faith becomes sight. Because we are the agency of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If people are going to see little touches of heaven now, it is going to come through the church. It is not going to come through any other institution on this planet. Right? It's going to come through the church. How does that happen? We walk in purity. We walk in unity. We celebrate together, and we anticipate the return of Christ. Jesus loves his church. Amen? All right, here's the deal. Prayer team, come on up. I know some weeks get really hard. Yeah, worship team too. I know some weeks get really hard, so... One of the banquet feasts we want to prepare for you is if your week's been hard and you need someone else to pray with you, never, never leave here without prayer, okay? Our team is always here to pray with you. If you don't know Christ and you want to this morning, come talk to our prayer team. They would love to share with you how you can know Jesus Christ. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you, church. I tell people all the time when they talk to me about Coastal and they're, you know, I run into people in the community, I hear them great things. I say, it's because we have the most amazing people. Uh, and I mean that. You guys are amazing, and I know you love the Lord, and I want to pray a prayer of blessing, and then we're going to go out singing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray shalom over this church body. 
just the idea of peace, God, just peace in their homes, peace in their soul, peace in their finances, God, peace in the workplace, peace in their spirit, peace in their relationships, God. God, as we follow hard after you, may we be a people that experience your peace. We know, we know that we get just a taste now. The full thing is coming at the return of Christ. But God, I just pray that this church could be a part of just a little bit of heaven on earth for, for our community who's desperate for the freedom that can only be found in Christ. That our community thinks they're going to find it in politics and in education. And all those things are important. God, the real peace comes when we know Jesus we as followers of Jesus love one another deeply as Christ loves his church, cherishes his church, nourishes his church, the word of God says. Help us to cherish one another as an overflow of knowing you, oh Lord Jesus Christ. I pray your blessing on this church family today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.